so we could use more volunteers if you'd like to commit to once a month helping out in our nursery at 11. We also will have an opening um, in our kindergarten and first grade room starting in January. We need a lead teacher and a teacher helper in there. That's at our 9 a.m. service. And we could also use a teacher helper in our second through fifth grade classroom at 9 as well. Secondly, we aren't just going to throw you in there. Um, we want you to feel equipped and prepared and excited about serving our kids. So we have a kids ministry training coming up. Sunday, November 7th, in this room from 5 to 6.30 p.m. So that is for our current volunteers and anyone who wants to learn more and is interested, please come. We'll be talking about curriculum, scheduling, um, and our kids' ministry policies. So I would love to see you there. That's November 7th, and that's it. Thanks. Thank you, Sam. Hey, one thing I forgot to mention. If you are new here this morning and you want information on the church just outside to the left, so to the left would be the coffee mugs with the information. To the right are the thank you cards. But we'd love you to come and check that out. But why don't I bring Ben up as uh, we have one last announcement for an event on November the 5th. life as I knew it was gone. The divorce was final within five months. The freedom was pretty great, you know, for a while, but freedom to sin is slavery. I wasn't running off wanting to do these sinful behaviors. Mine was inward, and it was so deep, I, I couldn't even see it. He cut through all of the head knowledge that I had and found me through the desperate cry of my heart. He was not the man I'd married. This was a man that I saw Jesus in more clearly than I ever had. God, his heart is for reconciliation. And we both felt a peace about it. Life is hard. But beyond that and through that, God works, God moves, God heals, God redeems, and it's worth it. Community Church. It is Chris and Steph from hey. Out of the Dust, and we are so excited to be coming up to you to join you for your date night on November 5th. Yeah, we'll tell our story of how God redeemed our marriage when there was nothing left. We'll sing our music all throughout the night. We'll have a hilariously good time throughout all the evening's festivities, and we can't wait to see you guys soon. Marriage is a gift from God, amen? can also be challenging as well, correct? Well, it will be a rich time. November the 5th is the date. You can register for that online. 
we are opening that up to the community, but we want to obviously give preference to folks in the congregation, but we do need people to sign up as quick as they can once you know. So that'd be a, it's going to be a great time. But let me pray as Ben comes and brings God's word. Well, God, we desperately need you this morning. Every hour we need you. In fact, every minute we need you, Lord, because we are broken people. We are people who are far off. We were far off, Lord, but yet in your grace and mercy, you sent Jesus Christ for us to pay the penalty for our sin that we may be made right. And so, Lord, may we be just overwhelmed with great joy this morning. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would move upon us. I pray that your spirit, Lord, would conform us to the image of Jesus Christ as we encounter your word. We know it doesn't come back void. Would you give Ben the words to speak that it would be powerful? And Lord, that we would, in obedience, look to follow you all the days of our life. So I pray your blessing upon this service, and I thank you for it. In Christ's name, amen. Well, let me invite you to open your Bibles to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. We are working our way through this amazing book. Last week, we talked about God's unstoppable kingdom. And the amazing thing about that is that we get to participate in that. Isn't that amazing? We get to participate in God's unstoppable kingdom. And last week, uh, we talked about Stephen. And Stephen, of course, was standing up boldly for Christ, and it cost him his life. But even despite that, the kingdom carries on. And we get to take part in that. And as we seek to honor the Lord with our lives, it is vital that we don't allow our circumstances to impact the way we respond to the Lord, right? Like it's important for us to guard our hearts no matter what comes our way. Even when Stephen was facing imminent danger, he kept his gaze heavenly. He focused on his father. He didn't allow what was going on to take his focus away from the Lord. And while he was being stoned, he prayed for the very ones who were casting them. Pleading that the Lord would not hold their sin against them. Isn't it? That still just blows me away that Stephen could have such great faith and such love for his enemies. What a challenge for us. Well, this morning we are going to overlap a couple verses that we had looked at last week. And at this point in the text, great persecution has broken out against the church. But the church didn't stop. The Christians didn't let it pull them from what they were called to do. In fact, as we talked about last week, persecution opened up the floodgates for the gospel to advance outside of Jerusalem. So let me invite you now to stand with me as I read through Acts chapter 8 verses 1 through 8. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip 
went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word that you've given us this morning. Thank you for the testimony that we get to read about the early church. Lord, they went through things that we could not possibly imagine. But Lord... They continued on in faith. They continued on carrying the gospel, Lord. And we don't know what these days hold for us here. Uh, We see animosity rising up. We see persecution on the rise. And, Lord, it, it seems imminent that it will be coming to us here in America. And I pray that we would stand firm in that. And, Lord, we can take great hope knowing that even persecution can't stop the gospel. Lord, even... Standing firm in you can't slow us down. Really, Lord, it can't slow you down. And so, God, I pray that we would find great hope and that we would participate, no matter what comes our way, in advancing the gospel, Lord. And thank you that we have received the good news. And so, Lord, be glorified this morning. Open our eyes to see the beauty of your word and let it leave us changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So when you consider what persecution is and the destruction it can bring, it is hard to see any good in it, isn't it? It's hard to think that persecution could somehow be a benefit for the world. And so when we think about that, here's the definition of persecution for you. The act of harassing, oppressing, or killing people because of their difference from society. That's really what it is. I mean, you look at the church, the church was drastically different from the rest of the world. As you look at the church today, the true church, those who are genuinely living out their faith, we're different than the world, aren't we? There's a drastic difference as we compare the two, and the world hates that. And so what does it do? It harasses, it oppresses, and it kills. We would all agree that persecution in the world is evil. We don't celebrate it. We don't take part in persecuting others, hopefully. (laughs) And really, it isn't anything new. Persecution took place when there were only four people on the earth. Do you remember Cain and Abel? When they had brought their sacrifices to the Lord and Abel's was acceptable to the Lord, but Cain's was not. And what did Cain do? He was angry. And so he killed his brother. Persecution is nothing new. It's been here since the beginning. But with God's sovereignty in the picture... Persecution takes a paradoxical turn. What should be something of complete devastation can be turned into something that produces far more fruit than if persecution never occurred in the first place. So this morning, we're going to talk about the fact that not even persecution can stop the gospel. Not even persecution can keep the gospel from advancing. That's good news this morning, isn't it? Good news for us. But if we aren't careful, we could stop the work in our lives. We could stop persecution happening to us from producing fruit out of what happens to us. So here are three ways as we look at Acts 8, 1 through 8, three ways to present 
prevent persecution from stopping the advancement of the gospel. The first is this. Don't let gospel opposition surprise you. Don't let gospel opposition surprise you. Look again at verse 1. Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church. And entering house after house, he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. And we talked about these verses last week. A little bit. And we saw that what Paul did actually served to advance the gospel outside of Jerusalem. Everything prior to this was taking place in this capital city where the temple was. And we looked at Acts 1.8, which is really the central passage of all the book where Jesus says, you will receive my spirit and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. And, and here we see because of the persecution that broke out after the stoning of Stephen, the gospel is now moving outside of Jerusalem. It is taking fruit in other places. We also talked about not allowing our hope for a person to be saved based on their path. past. Here's Saul who is executing people. He's approving the execution of believers. He's killing them. He's pulling men, not only men, but also women out of their homes, arresting them, throwing them into prison. This is Saul doing these things, and yet we know the end of the story for Saul. He becomes Paul, and of course he becomes a writer of many of the letters that we see in the scriptures. We shouldn't lose hope for those who are lost because God can save anyone. If he can save those who are persecuting the church, he can save Anyone, that is so important for us today to remember, isn't it? Because we look at the things that people say, we look at the things people do, and often our first reaction is anger. When, how often do we allow our hearts to be broken for the lost and go to prayer, seeking God, desperately asking them to save them? Can you imagine some of the greatest leaders of today who are doing the the worst for the kingdom of God who are persecuting the church. Can you imagine God saving them today and what that could possibly do for those who are observing? It would be amazing. Don't lose hope for those who are there. We talked about that last week. Still, despite his dark history, God saved Saul. But this morning I want to take a look at a different perspective of this. We, we should not be surprised when people oppose the truth of the gospel. There will always be Saul's out there. There will always be people until Jesus returns and makes things right. There will always be opposition to what Christ taught and what we are called to do. In fact, we see this all throughout scripture. Even Jesus, our Lord, said this in John chapter 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. 
Our Savior warned of the rejection that would come for us choosing to follow him. In fact, when coming to Jesus, what did he say we must do? We must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. That, it doesn't mean, hey, come, there's flowers and roses, and everything's going to work out great. That's not what Jesus called to. Nowhere in scripture do we see this. And so we shouldn't expect for people to receive us and for salvation to come and for life to then just work its way out to where it's easy. That's, that's never happened in the Christian life. I, I, hope, I hope that's not news to you, but we must not be surprised at what comes our way. But when we live as though we think things should just work out for us in salvation, we are setting ourselves up for hard times, aren't we? When we expect life to just be easy, no opposition, what happens when we have that perspective and then hard times come? Persecution comes. How do we respond to those things? That's why so many people run from the Lord because they have this unrealistic expectation of perfection, of ease, of comfort. And God's saying that's not going to happen because the world hated Jesus, it's going to hate us. Consider some other references, and these are just a handful. Consider other references that speak of the opposition that we will face. Jesus continued this in John 15 by saying this, Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Let me ask you, did they persecute Jesus? You will be persecuted. We will be persecuted. Now, in our lifetime, maybe it's going to be minor, but there could come a time, and you can see it, can't you? Can't you see the animosity and the hatred, the spin that's happening for believers? Like, we're called the ones, we're, we're the ones who are, are, are told that we don't really love people. But the most loving thing sometimes we can do is say, your life is off, <laughs> Right? How many of you have been blessed by somebody say, man, you're jacked up and you're going the wrong direction? How many of you have been blessed by that? I have. One of the most kind things we can do, now there's a way we do that, but one of the most kind things we can do is by telling somebody, you're falling short. Because we need to understand that before God, we fall short. And so the world hates us for that. Consider 2 Timothy 3.12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It's coming. There's no escape. If we choose to follow the Lord, it will come our way. Philippians 1.29 says this, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Brothers and sisters, don't forget that the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone whom he may devour. In a real sense, if you are experiencing trials that are tied to your faith, that's not all bad. In fact, it's probably showing that something is right in your life because the enemy realizes you are a threat. If you are trying to pursue the ways of the Lord, you are a threat to him and he's coming after you. But on the flip side, if you never face any trials, if life is easy, maybe it's because your life isn't centered on Christ at all. You've accepted your, this Lord and Savior to serve your purposes. You just want a free pass to heaven, but now you feel like you can do whatever you want to. 
And guess what? Those who aren't pursuing the Lord, the devil doesn't give a rip about you. He doesn't care because you're not a threat to him. But for believers in Christ, don't be surprised at opposition that comes your way. One discipline I would encourage you all to take part in is regularly reading through biographies of missionaries and seeing the struggle and the trials that many of them have gone through. Uh, right now, we're reading through, uh, as a family, Gladys Aylward. Uh, you may not have heard of her. She was a missionary that felt called. She was born in London, felt called to go to China. She went to mission school, took a test, and she failed. And so they wouldn't send her. But she was convinced that this is what God had called her to do. And so she wasn't surprised at the opposition. She just kept fighting and fighting and fighting. And so finally, she heard of this lady who was serving in China who needed an assistant. And so after conversations back and forth, she agreed to bring Gladys over. And so Gladys, though, had to work like crazy to save money. So every single dollar that she, she earned, she saved, and she put a, um, a deposit on a train ticket and spent months paying that off. And finally, it got to the point where she had enough to buy this ticket. And so she goes, gets on the train, and uh, right in the middle of her, her uh, travels from London to China, there's a war going on during this time. She was born in the early 1900s. And they told her, they warned her, hey, you need to get off there. You're heading into war. But she couldn't understand the language, and so she just kept going. And even on the train ride, she got to a point where she couldn't go any further. And she had all of these things that got in her way. Finally, she made her way to China. But she understood that, listen, following Christ doesn't come easy. It comes at a cost. Listen to another person. Maybe you've heard of Catherine of Alexandria who lived between the years of 287 to 305. At only 18, Catherine was converting hundreds of Christians. Hundreds of, of people to Christianity. And when a persecution of Christians broke out, she tried to use her influence as the daughter of the Alexandrian governor to persuade the emperor. So she went to the emperor and accused him of cruel acts. But he can't believe her boldness and calls for 50 of the best pagan philosophers to debate her over her Christian beliefs. She wins. And her fine-crafted arguments even convert some of the listeners. This just makes some of the people even more angry. And she becomes imprisoned. 200 visitors come to see her, including the emperor's wife. All are converted to Christianity. And again, though, people are not happy about this. And she is condemned to die by the breaking wheel. But when they put her on the breaking wheel, when she touches it, the breaking wheel crumbles falls to pieces, and in the frustration of those after her, she is finally beheaded. Brothers and sisters, we should not be surprised at opposition when it comes our way. The world persecuted Jesus, and the world will persecute us if we choose to follow after him. We should bank on gospel opposition. Here's a second way that we can prevent persecution from stopping the advancement of the gospel. It's this. Don't let roadblocks hinder. Don't let roadblocks keep you from sharing the gospel. Don't let roadblocks keep you 
from sharing the gospel. Look at verse 4. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. So picture the scene here. Stephen has just been stoned. A great persecution arose and all the Christians apart from the apostles left Jerusalem. It feels like absolute chaos, doesn't it? Scrambling, running off. I mean, if it were you, what would you have done in this moment? Wouldn't you have wanted to find a place to hide? I don't know about you, but I think my first inclination would be to run for safety. <laughs> Maybe I run as far away from Jerusalem as I possibly can. Find a cave and go dwell in the cave for a while until things kind of settle down. I mean, this is absolute chaos going on. But is this what the Christians do? Do they run? Do they hide? No, look at what they do. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Now one need not interpret that as meaning they're going and preaching messages. This is just another way of saying they went out and proclaimed the gospel. So they're just persecuted. They just saw their beloved friend, a leader in the church, killed for his faith. And what's the first thing they do? They go out and do exactly what Stephen was killed for. They didn't allow the roadblock of Stephen's death keep them from sharing the gospel. They didn't cower. They didn't allow fear to dictate their next move. Even though this huge roadblock appeared, it didn't keep them from spreading the gospel. Why? Why is that? It's because they knew what they were called to do. They knew what their mission was, making disciples of all people by proclaiming the gospel. And neither death nor persecution could keep them from the task at hand. Often I see people give up something because there were obstacles in their way. Life got hard and so you just pack it in and call it quits. I'm out. But one thing we've already talked about is that we shouldn't be surprised by opposition. And when we expect opposition to come, we won't allow it to stop our work of the gospel. I think of a, a secular example would be this. I'm sure you guys all know the name Michael Jordan, right? The greatest ba basketball player of all time. Do not get him confused with that guy, what's his name, LeBron James. Like there's no comparison here. Can I get an amen out there from somebody? Michael, Jack, Michael Jordan is far greater than LeBron James, all right? Make sure that is clear. But you, you probably have heard the story. Um, it's kind of like a legend, and it's not really fully true. Like they say Michael Jordan got cut from his high school basketball team. That's not fully true. The reality was when he was a sophomore, his goal, his focus, his mission was to make the varsity team. But he wasn't good enough for the coach to make the varsity team. And so he got sent to JV. Well, here's the thing that happened in JV. He was so motivated that when he would wake up tired, not wanting to do what his mission was, he just thought of everybody who, he just, he just pictured the list of the varsity team. And he couldn't see his name on it. So he just kept working on it because his name wasn't on the list. And so the JV team became actually the star of the school. And they fill the gym out, watching Michael Jordan play as a sophomore on the JV team, scoring 40-plus points a game. Well, over that summer, he grew four inches. And, of course, uh, we know the rest of the story. He becomes a star for the varsity team and goes on to be the greatest basketball player of all time. He didn't allow opposition to come his way. Now, clearly... 
we have a greater calling than playing basketball, amen? Like our calling to do, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ is far greater than playing basketball. And so we of all people should be far more motivated when we wake up and realize there are, there are people who are suffering without the hope of Christ. And we have been given the good news of Jesus. The problem is, is that we get so sidetracked by life, don't we? So many things get in our way and we lose our focus of what we have been called to. I, I do it too. As a pastor, I can get sidetracked with church work. It's crazy, but it's easy for me to get about the, the doing of the, of the church and forget about being a follower of Jesus Christ. Our mission is to glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Roadblocks are going to come our way all the time, and we have to make sure that we don't allow them to keep us from our mission. And so let me ask you this. Do you stay in the game when life trips you up? Do you keep at it when all of a sudden there becomes a cost for you to follow Christ with everything that you have. Now I realize for some of you, you may see, well, that, that's easy for you to say, Ben. You're, you're a pastor. And so you get paid to preach the gospel. It, it won't cost you anything to stand for Christ. You don't know what it means to lose your job possibly for standing with Jesus. I, I understand that. And if that's kind of your heart today, I would just have you consider the life of Stephen who was willing to give it all because he understood what we are called to. There's no greater call than to live for Jesus Christ. There's no greater call than to give everything for him. Jesus is worth it, amen. Jesus paid it all. All to him we owe. Sin had left the crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He paid the ultimate price for us. So isn't he worth standing up for him, proclaiming the gospel? Don't let roadblocks keep you from sharing the gospel. Look at verse 6. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. The last way we can prevent persecution from stopping the gospel is this. Don't let your life hinder the gospel message. Don't let your life hinder the gospel message. So we see here that... Philip went to Samaria to proclaim Christ. Now, here's what you need to know about Samaria. The Jews and the Samaritans were not buddies. They were not friends. In fact, the Jews despised the Samaritans. And they considered them to be even less than Gentiles. They were, they were Jews that had intermarried with other nations. And so they called them bad names. They did not respect them. They stayed away from them. In fact, if they had to travel to some place where you would have to go to Samaria, they would literally walk around Samaria so that they wouldn't have to interact with them. That's the hatred that they had for him. But yet here Philip is going and sharing the gospel. And here's the thing about 
the Samaritans, they were a religious people. They were hungry. There was a hunger that they had for the gospel. And we see here that they respond to him. They are hanging on every word that Philip was saying. And not only did he speak with power, but his actions backed it up. The, the miracles he performed proved that the message was true. So here's what we don't understand today. Here's where we miss it. We have the completed scriptures. I don't need to come and then like start doing healings and speak in tongues and perform these miracles in order to prove the message. If you want to prove what I'm saying is true, what do you do? You just look at the, the word of God that he's given us. Like we have this to do. But the reason why they did miracles was to prove like this is, this is a message from God. It's backed up by the, by the things that I am doing. Well, another way that, that we can prove the message that we are proclaiming, another way that we can show that Jesus is real by living an authentic life that backs up what we say. By living authentic Christian lives. In other words, don't let your life hinder the gospel message. Don't say one thing and then deny it by the way that you live. Brennan Manning said this. You may have heard this before. The greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Christians, for those of you who have people who know you are a believer, does your life repel them from Christ? Or does it draw them in? Can people at least respect the fact that you live what you say? Now here's the thing. I used authenticity, the word be authentic, over perfection. Do you know the difference between the two? I mean, who's living a perfect life? Nobody. And here's the reality. For everybody except for Jesus Christ, every one of us, whether you are a believer or not, is inconsistent. Do we realize that? Like, so when anybody wants to call me out for being inconsistent, I'll be like, you know what, you're right. Forgive me. Authenticity is not about perfection. Everybody is inconsistent with what they say they believe. Whether you're a believer or not, nobody is living perfectly. So it's not about perfection, it's about authenticity. Here's the thing, how many of you fail in the Christian life? How many of you are a bad witness at times? How many of you live different life than what you proclaim? The difference, what authenticity does is says, man, I messed up. I screwed up. You know what? The way I responded to you in light of who I say I believe in and that action don't line up. And you know, would you please forgive me? Don't you respect people who do that far more than those who act like they have it all together, who have all the right things to say, but yet they're kind of jerks about it? Don't you respect that person who is real? Now, if you've got to keep asking forgiveness like multiple times a day, maybe you need to <laughs> reconsider. So it's not, but it's not about perfection. It's about authenticity. Does your life reflect the gospel message that you proclaim? Are you living authentically? After all, Jesus came because we didn't get it right, right? He came because he knew we couldn't get it right. And even after coming to salvation, we still don't get it right. We strive for it though, don't we? 
be holy as I am holy. We pursue it with all that we have. But when we fail, we remember God's grace has been lavished on us through Christ on the cross. And so we repent and we seek forgiveness from those that we've wronged. And we rejoice in Christ's forgiveness for us. Listen, people will come in our lives in and out. Some will be receptive to Christ. Others will reject him no matter what we do, even when we live authentically. But don't let someone's rejection of Christ be because you are living a drastically different life than what you say you believe. The beauty of the church here that we see in in the book of Acts is that not even persecution can stop the gospel. The early church was not surprised by the opposition that they faced. It didn't sidetrack them. They didn't allow the roadblocks to get in their way of the mission of spreading the gospel. And that resulted in many Samaritans hearing the good news and turning to Christ. They authenticated the message that they proclaimed. And look at the result of their faithfulness to the gospel. Look at verse 8. So there was much joy in that city. Isn't that what's missing in today's world? Joy. Is your life displaying joy in Christ? Because your greatest problem has been taken care of on the cross. Is that the song of your heart this morning? Are you displaying that Not only should we be proclaiming the joy in the gospel, but our lives should reflect it. That even though things are falling apart around us, we still have this hope because we realize that we are not living for this world. We are living for the world to come. Jesus is coming back and he's going to make everything right. Amen. Oh, to bring the good news of great joy to those in our lives. The reason we have joy is because sin no longer defines us. Our past doesn't doom us any longer. Our performance isn't what saves us. What man thinks of us has no bearing on what God thinks of us. Have you experienced joy in your life? Is joy a defining trait in the way that you live? Christians, let me leave you with this. Persecution is coming. In one form or another. But that doesn't have to affect our joy. Don't be surprised when you face gospel opposition. Don't let the roadblocks that come your way keep you from proclaiming the gospel. Remember the mission. Remember what we're called to do. Glorify God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. That is what we are called to do. And don't let your life hinder the message. Live authentic lives. When you screw up and you will, ask for forgiveness. What a testimony that is to a world that so desperately needs to see broken people who are willing to acknowledge when they get it right. But ultimately their joy is in Christ. Brothers and sisters, the good news is that even persecution can't stop the gospel. Let's pray. Lord, last week we remembered the fact that your kingdom is unstoppable. And Lord, really we could have said this is part two this morning. 
Thank you for the fact that not even persecution can stop the gospel. Not even suffering can keep that from happening. What a testimony that we see in the early church in Acts. And I pray for help, Lord, because we are so tempted to get sidetracked with other things, with our jobs, with unemployment, with financial struggles, with relationship woes, suffering, illness, sickness. Lord, I pray that even these things come. Lord, I pray that we would not allow them to lead us astray. I pray that we would keep our eyes focused on you. Lord, I think of the end of Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and following. May this be our hearts, Lord. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines. The produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. Lord, even when persecution comes, may our joy lie in the salvation that you've granted us, Lord. May we be salt and light to a world that so desperately needs to see it. God, thank you that you cling to us. Lord, that even when we falter, Lord, you do not let go of us. You cling to us. And so, Lord, give us hearts that are abandoned for you, no matter the cost. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can stay seated for just a second as we get into some action steps um, that you can take with you this week. Um, and do um, in response to the message today. Um, the first thing uh, that you can commit to this week is to memorize uh, John 15, 18 through, 18 through 20. And I just want to read that real quick as well. Again, if the world hates you, know that it, is, it has hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world will love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, um, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you, out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the world, remember that the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. And let's, re, let's just put that on our hearts this week that, that uh, as Ben was talking about, um, we're not going to have um, just great times as, as Christians. We're not going to have a life that's perfect, um, but we're going to face trials. Um, and then also um, read, read that chapter. Um, just get some context to that. He also goes into, John talks about, um, I am, or Jesus is talking about, I am the true vine at the beginning of that chapter. And then um, thirdly, does your life match your words? Does um, uh, Ben Witt read that quote? Um, if we truly believe Jesus is Lord, does our life match as we leave the, the, the doors of this building? Does our life match up to that? And then fourthly, read a missionary biography. I've uh, been touched on that earlier. But if you haven't yet, find a missionary biography and uh, read through that. Um, it's uh, super impactful, uh, especially as we look, in the, as we look to, to live our lives after Christ um, and how these people 
that have gone before us have lived their life after Christ as well. Well, let's stand. We're going to end um, in a worship song as we continue to just um, set our hearts on our Lord as we go out of this place. As let's have abandoned hearts for him. Um, let us not abandon our hearts to ourselves or anything that this world has to offer, but may God be the one we worship and the one we abandon uh, our lives to.